Amazing. So, guys, we are in this thing called the Family Series. As many of you, if you're first time with us or just uh, newly with us, we have a sign. Uh, and as you walk into the sanctuary that says, welcome to the family room, that's not just a little hokey thing. We really feel like we're in a season where God is deeply establishing family. And so we felt like the Lord said for the first, you know, first couple months of 2019 to really give ourselves to focusing on developing family. So mainly Bruce and I are going back and forth. We got a few speakers coming in for this, but I'm going to continue. This is number four of our family series, and I'm going to talk about the father heart of God today because there's no way to do healthy family without a right paradigm or understanding of how incredibly good God is as father. And so if we could go go forward, next slide. And we have this prophetic progression that Bruce came up with from all on the back wall from our New Year's Eve service, all the kind of words that came out. We go all the way from surrender. It's interesting, calm before the storm. We've hit some storm in this last week. And then all the way it goes to we are family. And family is really what is on his heart. Next slide. So the title of this message is The Father Heart of God Restoring All Things. So guys, the Father's redemptive story, next slide, is all about restoration. Restoration is this. It's the act of returning something to either a former owner, place, or condition. So a lot of what I'm going to be talking about this morning is this theme of restoration. When uh, our first, uh, first part in this series, when Bruce... Bruce and I tag teamed. I set this up going, the Father's restoring four main, th- main things. I'm going to look at that in a minute. Next slide. Uh, I want to look at a few verses on restoration, Acts 3, 19 through 21. So this is uh, Peter speaking, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Things are going crazy, wild in a good way in Jerusalem. He says this, repent that your sins may be blotted out. So that he, meaning the Father, may send Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. That's Acts 3. So we are in this time of the restoration of all things. You and I are on this planet loving Jesus in Christ to be part of seeing this restoration of all things. Next one. So also Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Why? To unite all things. Think about it. To restore all things in him, the Father, things in both heaven and things upon the earth. The ultimate restoration is that heaven is coming down to the earth. Heaven is coming, earth's coming up and heaven's coming down. And the Father's design has always been that there would be union and unity between what he created heaven to be and what he created the earth to be. Next slide. I want to talk about just review from that first session. I talked about four main areas of restoration. This is why if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing, macro picture, big picture in the earth, this is it. Number one. 
without a doubt, he is restoring the first commandment to first place. There will be no place, no believer on the planet before his return who is not red hot in love with him. There will be no such thing as lukewarmness left in the church before it's all said and done. Now there will be hot and there will be cold. There will be nothing in between. The hot is what I call intimacy with Jesus. The first commandment will be restored to first place. It was never meant to be second or third or fourth. Loving him with heart, soul, mind, and strength has always been the greatest thing on the heart of God. Next one. The second thing we see him doing, which is my theme today, the heavenly father's heart of overflowing goodness. We're uh, the church for decades has not seen him rightly as the good father. We've seen him as a CEO, as a boss, as a judge, as someone to be cower before, but he wants to be seen as the good, good father. Next. Another thing that's being restored, the bride is being restored. The bride is being made ready. Our identity is being restored as amazing sons and daughters, as the bride of Christ. I believe this includes flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It includes the Holy Spirit being poured out. We are not fully who we are meant to be and without the gifts, the fullness of God flowing through the body. So it's the bride in fullness is being restored. That's good news for you and I. And then the last one, which I alluded from Ephesians 1, the culture of heaven invading the earth. What is up there coming down and penetrating every sphere of society? We call that transformation. So four things, intimacy, family, identity, and transformation. So let's go to the next slide. I mainly wanna focus on this uh, family and the father heart of God today. So this is a verse I've been in uh, since December that I see is very powerful to understanding this restoration of what he's doing. We can't use the term family and throw it around without understanding this is what is happening prophetically on a global scale right now. So Malachi 4, 5 through 6, it's the last verses in the Old Covenant. I think that's so powerful. The very last thing that was spoken before we step into New Covenant, this great transition in the earth. And so this little prophet Malachi, uh, again, he was like almost like a no-name guy. He rises up and he says some, in, in, in uh, four chapters, he says some of the most provocative things, primarily to the priesthood, which guess who's the priesthood in this room today? You better all raise your hand, tag. It's like pop quiz. Every single one of us, I mean, if you're in Christ, we are the priesthood. So it's a book for us. So at the end of Malachi, he says this very Strange thing. He says, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That is intense. This is a really intense way to end the old covenant. But Holy Spirit doesn't shy away from it. So I just want to tease out this Malachi 4. Is that okay? We do a little bit of Bible study. How many of you love God's word? Let's do some Bible study. Let's dig into this. So I like breaking it down like this. The word behold. Sometimes we just gloss over words in the English and we think, well, that's just a filler word. If you see behold in the Bible, it is never a filler word. 
It means open your eyes double wide, get heart, soul, mind, get all your senses engaged. It means pay attention. It means look and see, but don't just look and see with the natural eyes. It means look and see with the eyes of your heart. Behold, and then this incredible prophetic word. Next phrase says, I send. Behold, I send. So I send, guess what? This is God's idea. It's not man's idea. This is God's initiative. It's not the power or the arm of the flesh of man. This is God bringing action into the earth. He's the one sending, uh, sending Elijah. So who is he sending Elijah to? It says, I send you. So who is you? It's us. It's the church universal. In this context, it's absolutely Israel. It's the broken, the wounded, all those who are going to be in need of this turning that's coming. So behold, I send you. Who's he sending? Elijah. Elijah, the prophet. So odd that he references back to Elijah. But why Elijah? Well, guess what? We don't have to guess what this is about because Jesus translates for us this prophetic analogy in Matthew 11, 13 through 14, when he's talking about his best friend and cousin, John the Baptist, he said, if you will, this is talking about John the Baptist. He is Elijah that's come the spirit. And it really is not referencing like a, we know he's not referencing a reincarnation. He's talking about the spirit that rested on the prophet Elijah is now manifesting in John. And it's to do this preparatory work in the earth. So Elijah is hugely important. It's a John the Baptist anointing. John the Baptist was the forerunner who prepared the way for the first coming of Jesus. Even as there will be a John the Baptist outpouring upon the generation before the Lord returns, the body of Christ will be operating in this kind of anointing. Prepare the way of the Lord. The entire church will operate in a forerunner anointing that is about preparing the way. That's for evangelism, missions, worship, every arena, every sphere. So this Eliza John the Baptist connection is so important. Next slide. So before, don't skip over the word before. It means not during, not after, but before. Timing is key to understanding this restoration. There's this preparatory work of restoration that's happening in the earth. So before, but before what? The, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So many of us, depending on what your eschatology is, we would like to just put a parenthesis around that, throw it out and go, I'm not even looking at that. There is a beautiful and terrible day that's coming, but it is a day the church rises in victory more than any other hour upon the earth. That's why the things we're going through today, these temporary light afflictions, these troubles, these trials, they're working in us an eternal weight of glory that we become who we've always been destined to be. But this day that's in his heart, Isaiah 63 talks about, it's the end of the age right before his second coming. So it's both beautiful and terrible. It's great, it's glorious, but there's shakings happening. And it's great for the church, for those in Jesus. It's terrible for the world who is uh, 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 profaning his name. So before the great, terrible day of the Lord, and it says, and he... I've heard people teach us and go, the he is God. This is, the he is not God. 
that he absolutely is Eliza or the spirit of John the Baptist. Eliza, the spirit of John the Baptist, is the one, is the subject of this that will turn the hearts. So just like John the Baptist had a work to do, how many of you would say John the Baptist had a work to do in the earth? Did Eliza have a work to do in the earth? Did they partner with the Holy Spirit to do it? But they did their part. God did his part. So it is that in this hour of restoration of the father heart of God in this turning that uh, we have a work to do. God has a work to do. And we, it's a prophetic work that we are entering into to partner with the Lord. What is that prophetic work? It's around this word turn. I love the turn word. Turn something is broken. Something is misdirected and needs to be moved, refocused, restored. I call it, it's the great turnaround that will change everything in the planet. In 1983, my, who I teasingly call my boss, Mike Bickle, who runs IHOP Kansas City, uh, he had a visitation while in the slums of Cairo, Egypt, and heard the audible voice of the Lord in his little hostel room came to him in a very profound way and said this. He uh, told Mike, he said, I'm going to change the expression of Christianity in a single generation. I believe it has everything to do about what the church will look like according to these restorations, intimacy, family, identity, identity, and transformation of heaven coming to earth. So it's the great turnaround. It's so powerful. Next slide. So what's being turned? First of all, and you have to get the order right on this. So we were ministering to the teens a few weeks ago. This is important about the restoration. First thing that gets turned is the hearts of the fathers. And I believe where you see fathers, you can put fathers and mothers. It's the spiritual parents, the hearts of the, but fathers specifically to the children. In fact, this was uh, so amazing. I don't know who came up and prayed for me during worship, but, um, Dafka got up on my, she's never done this here, but she got crawled up into my arms and like clung to me in a way that was super normal. It was supernatural. And I knew I was getting set up for this message by the Lord. But I mean, she just wrapped herself around me and put her head on my shoulder and would not, that has not happened here really in public. She cuddles with me at home, but I knew it was supernatural. And then someone came and laid hands on me. There was just like this I don't know what was going on, but I felt the Lord turning my heart to my daughter. I just felt this great turning in this. I mean, it brought me to tears. There is a turning. There's a turning. Fatherlessness is the plague of the end times. The orphan spirit is the most heinous thing imaginable. It is the... That what is causing abortion to run rampant. It's this war that's going on in our nation right now. Reconciliation starts first with moms and dads, but it doesn't end there. Then the children get turned to the fathers. This is the follow-up. I believe it's time for the prodigals to return to the father's house. Amen? How many of you want to see prodigals come back in? Prodigals could be 60 years old, 70 years old, or they could be 17 years old. But it's time for the prodigals to come back into the father's um, house, into the family room, for orphans to be adopted, for this trans 
transition to happen where we become glorious sons and daughters with full inheritances, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So this is so sobering and intense. The prophet prophesies by, again, this is the Holy Spirit pinning this and speaking it. He says, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to come and do serious reparation on planet earth. I believe it's like a huge giant parentheses trying to get our attention. Because so many times we gloss over scripture. We gloss over things that make us uncomfortable. But he wants us, again, one of the things today is feel it, feel it, feel it. We just want quick fixes in America. We just want them to deal with things and get back on our happy road. But he's saying, I want you to feel how sober and how weighty this is. Unless there is a restoration and that spirit of John the Baptist arises that begins to compel dads to go back to their kids and kids back to their dads, parents, this restoration of family that we're talking about, it will not go well with planet earth. It's so serious. And then it stops. It's like a giant exclamation mark. And then 400 years of a Selah. Do you know what a Selah is in the book of Psalms? You know, the the psalmist would, at the end of something, they would say Selah. It means pause, stop. It means really stop. Think deeply on this. Chew it over and over. Meditate on it. Don't leave this thought. There's a 400-year Selah. This has never happened before in history. A 400-year pause to give us time to think about, wow, what does that mean? And guess what? You and I are living in a privileged hour that prophets of old have longed to see when God is doing this restoration right now. We are in a restoration of fathers to kids, kids to fathers. We've seen it uh, spilling out over even in practical ways here in our body. Next slide. The revelation of the good, good father is one of the primary restoration themes of the end of the age. Next. One of the most wonderful revelations of the Bible is that God is our father. Now, an interesting thing with people in this room, when we go, well, what do you think of when you hear the word father? We got a hundred people in this room today. We're going to have a hundred different opinions or thoughts about father, many of them will be painful. So someday I'll share my testimony of what it was like to grow up in with a rageaholic uh, father who was 23 years older than my uh, sweet praying mama who was completely abusive. I would be hit across the room constantly. My siblings uh, called every name in the book continuously was the tape running through my head and, um, And then to find out after he went through years of sickness, after he died, I found out from my mom that he wasn't my real uh, biological father. She had an affair with a man in the church who was my biological father, who was also passed. I mean, I could go on a Jerry Springer show and describe some of this. It's like absolutely crazy. But here's the deal. We all have trigger points with this word father. So this is, I actually had two people tell me not to do this message kind of teasingly. But I'm telling you, I'm an apostolic papa who's not afraid to shy away from what the truth is in the word. These are those, remember I've talked in our 
our uh, connection series about fault lines or crack lines in the foundation. If we ignore this, we're getting ready for a potential earthquake that will hurt people. We must believe what is true about the good father, despite the things that trigger us about our earthly things. And I think Gloria and... um, and Sonia, we're just talking about entering into that comfort and healing. I just believe the Lord's going to do some healing um, today. But I don't think we should shy away or pull away from messages like this. I think we do a great disservice to the body. Okay, next, next. Understanding God as Father. So we will never understand healthy church, family, until we understand God as the good Father. So let's go again into the Word and look at some of the setup. So we see, next slide, Old Testament, where he's being established as a father. So let's look at some of these verses. There's about 15 very clear passages in the Old Testament where he's referenced as father. Not a whole lot, but there's 15 very clear. Again, the Old Covenant is about shadows and types that point us to what will fully be revealed when Jesus comes Uh, the first time to the planet and begins to restore all things, begins this restoration point. So we have 15 little hints in scripture. Here are three of my favorites in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32.6 says to the children of Israel, is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Again, that caused controversy among the, the Israelites, even in that day to begin to see and transition to think of Yah as father, it's a big deal. But that's nothing compared to Isaiah 9, 6, when he begins to say some of the names of God in one, through Jesus, and one of the names is everlasting father. How big is everlasting? Give me a timeline of everlasting. When does it begin? When does it end? You get what I'm saying? Ever, you can't do math on everlasting. He will, he's never not been father. He is father right now and he will never not be father. That's everlasting. So if he's everlasting father, why would we minimize his role as father in the body of Christ? In Isaiah 63, 16, for you are our father, though Abraham, that's funny. Abraham had many sons, had many sons. Father Abraham, you know, he's like the dude. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but though Abraham doesn't know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. My best friend, Tom Grossman, who's a prophet, I mean, real deal prophet in the body of Christ, he taught me this years ago. He's like, Marvin, just sometimes walk around when you're on the streets or in the bathroom or driving in your car, just look up, look up to God and say, you are my real father. You are my real father. I mean, and really connect with that. You are my real dad. You are my real father. Next. So we have those teasing out of the Old Testament, but I really want to go into the new covenant, the New Testament, where Jesus himself comes to primarily reveal the father. Jesus came to reveal the father to the human race and offer relationship with him. Jesus was on a mission. I call, I love to, uh, I came up with this, I mean, it's in the scripture, but I, I've taught on this many times. Jesus is the plumb line dropped down from heaven to show us just how twisted and messed up we are, how out of plumb. You know what a plumb line is? So you drop it from the top 
of a thing, it goes straight down and it will show you if the wall is a little off or not. And so he plums me and shows me if there's anything off in how I'm viewing primarily God the Father. Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us what the Father is like. John 14, he's dealing with his disciples. He says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Philip speaks up and says, Lord, I want this. Show us the Father. And it's sufficient for us. Jesus says, oh, dude, dude, have I been with you this long? And and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. We know Colossians 1, uh, Philippians 1. He's the exact representation of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. None of you in this room or myself have to guess what the heavenly Father is like. Every place we see Jesus described, then we're getting a picture of the Father. So guess what? Jesus was always good doing good. He went around doing good all the time, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes. He was always kind, never not good. Even when he came and like overturned the money changers tables, we, I call that people think it's Kung Fu Jesus, like riding in like John Wayne on the day. It's passion. It's passion of his kindness in operation that people get to God, his father. It's all about clearing the way, making access. It was passion that was driving him. Next slide. Jesus revealed many things about God, yet none, none greater than the revelation of God as the good father. So part of Jesus's mission on the earth was to combat the lies that cloaked the earth about what God was really, look, look, what was really like. Jesus is passionate about the reputation of his father and how we perceive him. So Jesus gave his entire three and a half years of ministry, really you know, his entire life, but in hardcore ministry to train up a leadership team, he imparted the 12 of the most unlikely candidates to take over planet earth, to be those who like turn the world upside down. He poured into them. He spent three and a half years opening his heart, revealing, this is what my dad is like. This is what my father is like. I want to just get this out. I want you to understand my hometown, the new Jerusalem. I want you to understand what heaven is really like, what the value system is. That is, you know, when Bruce was teaching on the, uh, the Beatitudes, that's the constitution of heaven, the value system of heaven. I want you to get this and to be imparted. It was all about showing the father so that the church would be built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets in such a healthy way that the identity of father would never get skewed. And yet it did a little bit, if any of you are church history fans. Okay, next slide. Let's talk about something scandalous for a moment, okay? Every church loves a good scandal, just kidding. There is a great, great scandal. There's many great scandals in scripture. This is one of those scandalous provocative moment. So we know that around the the great throne of God, like Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, the angels worship. They don't cease day and night. And they worship God with these names of respect and adoration like this, to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. 
me these worthy, I love it, worthy names. God, omnipotent, omniscient, the only wise. But Jesus steps in to planet Earth and he totally turns the system upside down. He changes everything for human beings, not for the angelic order. It stayed the same, but for human beings, everything changed when he makes this startling declaration. When his homeboys are gathered around him, go, Jesus, you got to teach us to pray. It is obvious you're you're operating on a whole nother realm than what we are. You have to teach us. It's clear that prayer is the thing that's connecting you. And so, you know, Jesus knew this setup was coming. So he said, okay, I want you to pray. This is a good, this is a good uh, map to use. Again, some people get real religious about the Lord's prayer. It is a prophetic roadmap of intimacy. It's the most beautiful thing. In fact, it hits those four restoration and reformation things. It hits identity, family, um, uh, intimacy, and transformation. I just thought about that. That's amazing. The Lord's Prayer does this. But he starts it out going, pray this way. Our Father. Boy, did heads turn. They're like, come again? Like, did you honestly just call him Father? What's interesting, you look at the translations at this, you know, some people say it's Abba. It's actually not the word Abba, which I'm going to get into in just a minute. But um, the word translates in such a way, it's like, it is similar to Abba. It's the Jewish word for father. But father, see, we have a different perspective of dads in this day of all hell breaking loose on planet earth. And um, and revival and glory. So, but but back in that time, Fathers were held in such, being balanced, I'm, a, I'm an apostolic, I have to balance it. So in Jesus's day, fathers in the Jewish culture were so adored. I mean, they weren't just honored and respected, they were adored. Papas sang to their kids. They taught their kids the scriptures by singing. The dads sang to their kids, and that's how they learned the Torah. The, the dads were so revered and honored and adored. So when we hear our father, it's both this mixture of, of honor, respect, but close-knit intimacy and, and no gap. Imagine no gap like Dafka, just like bear-hugging me today. There's no distance in that. That's the word father. And so when he said that to the disciples and all the people listening, it was hugely scandalous. We are not to stand at a distance from him. Next one. So let's move to the word Abba. It gets even more scandalous. So in Gethsemane, while sweating great drops of blood, Jesus cried out to his father using such an intimate term, calling him Abba. So Abba literally translates in our language, it's, uh, it's daddy or it's papa. It's like, it's not that respect like father. It is Abba. I mean, it's uh, Papa or Daddy. It's a term of nearness and endearment. It's respectful yet intimate. This term was commonly used in the streets of Israel. Children sitting in their father's lap use this word. It includes the assurance of receiving God's kindness and affection. So he said in, uh, uh, gosh, what does it say? My Matthew 14, 36. So, or it's, sorry, it's probably Mark. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. So in the last remaining moments of his life, he goes into this, this cry of nearness of Papa. 
Papa, I need you. I need your nearness. I need your closeness. Okay, there's no way I'm going to get through the rest of this. So this is going to become part two because it is so good. Okay, so let's stand up. If you have kids, I want to encourage you to go get your kids. So I'll do, Bruce and I are still tag teaming on this, so I'll do a part two. So seriously, if you got kids, go grab them. You can bring them in. If we could have someone just come up to the keys and play. Someone, or, oh, hey, Matt. I do want to go into some time of ministry, so feel free to bring your kids back, back in here. But there's a couple things I want to look at. Some invitations I want to give. And I'm just going to call people to the front and um, just, let, just let the Lord lay hands on you. Let the good Father come and do business in this room. I love that he's, Glory had this picture of him coming as mother because I love the book. The Shack has been very uh, pivotal in my own life. And so, but I, he's coming as comfort as uh, Sonia said. So I believe God wants to deal with our belief system about is God a good father or not. So any lies because of the brokenness you might have received, I will seriously, maybe in part two, I'll tell you some of my testimony. It, it is wild. It is wild. It's like Gage, I really shouldn't be here, but God, the father, the good father. And so some of us are still dealing with lingering lies and accusations. Is he really good? Is he, especially in times of heartache, it's, it's when the accuser gets really loud. So I want to encourage us to deal with our belief system, deal with lies we might be believing. Um, I think that goes into also dealing with any earthly relationship with our fathers or mothers that might have wounded us and just releasing and forgiving. Forgiveness, forgiveness is the door into restoration. So many of us want restoration without walking through the door of forgiveness. And so forgiveness is such a powerful weapon. And the, uh, the last one is I wanna call forth moms and dads to begin to operate in the spirit of John the Baptist to see a prophetic restoration of family. I don't think it's like for just apostles and prophets. I think every member of the body of Christ is called to the forerunner ministry. And a main thing is to see people call back to first love. You're all tag. You're all on the team to call people back to first love. And you're all on the team to call people back to family. Can you step into seeing yourself as being an agent of reconciliation in the earth to see families restored? Part of the way you can do that is intercession. Pray, 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 pray for a breakthrough of revival. We, we prayed for the whole uh, month of November for prodigals to return home. We've been seeing prodigals returning in this season. Pray, guys, pray, intercede, ask him to do this. So if any of those fit you, I just want to encourage you just to come stand before the Lord. If there's and maybe something else from the message that's, just stirred your heart, but you want to respond. Sometimes I think to make a public step or response breaks apathy off sometimes or a religious spirit or whatever. So I just want to encourage you to come, come stand up here at the front. If you want to deal with your belief system, 
you want the Lord to help you forgive or move through some of the pain, I also encourage you to use turnkey ministries here, the Sozo ministry at the well to deal with some of those father wounds or parent wounds, those issues, so that you're you're totally open to what the Lord wants to do. Or if you want to respond to, I'm going to step into this prophetic call of being a voice to see family restored. Just want to encourage you to come forward. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I ask that you would break through every lie. Break through every lie where we would not see you as the good, good, extravagantly kind Father. Lord, I ask you change my mind, change my belief system. Lord, let the word wash over me. Lord, let these scriptures wash over me today. If we've seen you, we've seen the Father, Jesus. If we've seen you, Jesus, we don't have to guess. Maybe the Father's not good. Jesus, you're the kindest man I know. That means the Father is the kindest, best Abba, Papa, Father around. Lord, if Jesus was able to call you Abba, Jesus is alive on the inside of me. So I have full permission to cry out, Abba, Papa, Abba, Father. You're not just off in the distance tolerating me. You celebrate me. Break through every lie. Lord, and I ask you for a wave of healing for those of us who've dealt with abusive fathers or distant fathers, absentee fathers, that plague of fatherlessness specifically that have uh, stunted us or skewed our view about you as a father. I ask for help. One of my favorite prayers is help, Lord. I've got two favorite prayers, more Lord and help, Lord. I call it the come dumb school of prayer. Just come dumb. Help, Lord, and more, Lord. I just pray, so cry out if you need that. Just say, help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to deal with those things. Show me who to talk to. Show me, Lord, if there's action steps I need to take. But I pray, escort me through the door of forgiveness. And then, Lord, I call the well and to be fully, fully activated into the ministry of reconciliation and restoration, especially with you as the good father. I pray that when people walk in here, they'd really walk into the family room. It wouldn't be just a cute name or a name full of soulish pressure, expectation. I pray we would walk in and step into an anointing of the spirit of John the Baptist where fathers are turned to kids and kids are turned to fathers. Oh, I pray, let this be a turnaround room. Let this be a turnaround ministry, God. Let this be a turnaround place. I pray, turn around for marriages, turn around for families, Lord, for relationships with prodigals, Lord. I pray for a turnaround in this place, Holy Spirit. I pray, cause the well to step into maturity in this area that we would partner with you, Holy Spirit.
We would partner with you with this work of seeing uh, this restoration in the earth. God, it must be. It must be. It must be, Lord. So we open our hearts and we receive an anointing, that breaker anointing that breaks through every lie of the enemy, every wound of the soul, and every excuse we would make to not be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Lord, and I seal this in your name. I bless this people here at the well. Lord, I bless my family here at the well. May may they truly know what it is to prosper, body, soul, spirit. I bless my family at the well, that they would know what it is to dream big dreams, to love in a huge way, to live with no regrets, to not fear, and to feel, God, in your precious, precious name of your most holy son, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Bless you guys. We will see you Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. for Dwell, and then next Sunday. Amen.